Well, good morning. My name is uh, Mike Wittig. I serve Bethel as the director of College Age Ministry, and I'm really glad to be with you. My wife, Hope, is here with me this morning, and we are really glad that you could come. I'm glad that you could brave the cold, snowy uh, drive here. And yet last night, I happened to be on YouTube, and I just happened to come across this video, and this uh, journalist um, interviews this random guy on the street about what he thinks about this year's weather. And here's what he says. I thought it was good. He's like, to me, winter is like Justin Bieber. It's cute when it first came out on the scene, but now we've all grown weary of it, and I wish it would just go back to Canada where it came from. I thought it was pretty insightful commentary for both Justin Bieber and this year's winter. But uh, so glad to be with you. As a church, we're going through a series on the Ten Commandments. Last week, Pastor Steve uh, brought to us part two from commandment number four, and I hope you were here to catch it. If you weren't, I definitely want to commend it to you. It was a helpful message for me and for a lot of us. And it's amazing how relevant I'm realizing the Ten Commandments are in this culture, in our day and age. And um, this morning's message is not going to be number five on that list. It's going to instead be kind of an addendum to the series. And it'll kind of piggyback off of what Pastor Tony spoke about a couple weeks ago here on good works and motivations. And if you have a Bible, we'll be in Genesis chapter 11 this morning. Genesis chapter 11. There are basically two ways that we can approach the Ten Commandments Two ways we can approach devotion to God, piety, loving our neighbor, loving God, serving in the community. There's two ways. The first way, over here on this side, I'll use, we seek to obey God, seek to obey the law, seek to serve others, seek to be devoted to God as a way to earn something, to merit something, to fulfill some desire in us for something, perform, we hope. We hope to perform for a passing grade in the end. You know, that's on this side of the spectrum. The problem with that, the problem with this understanding, is that ultimately, my good deeds are about me. I'm giving to get. You guys see that? It's a very self-centered driving force behind why we do things. And then, let me propose another alternative over here. I'll call this the Christian alternative, and that is this. We let the gospel dominate how we approach the Ten Commandments, how we approach the law, how we approach devotion to God. We um, let liberty run free. And this is the way of grace. This is the way of liberty, the way of liberation. And here on this side, we find good news for the burned out, healing for the broken, the gospel for sinners. And this, to me, is a distinctly Christian approach to ethics to devotion to God and to piety. And I want to hopefully today, in these few short minutes, help me, help all of us, move a little bit more towards this direction as we approach the Christian life and approach piety and devotion to God. So we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. And this is the famous account of the people of Shinar. They build what we have now called the Tower of Babel. And um, as we're reading it, you're going to read of people who are a bunch of narcissists, a bunch of egomaniacs, a bunch of idolaters. In other words, people just like us. So we'll be able to relate with them, I think. 
So Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, I'll read. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said one to another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your law and your gospel would speak to us this morning. And may the relevance of this really old story be brought to light. May it humble us. May it expose our sin. And may it awaken in us a need, an awareness of our need of a Savior. And may we find freedom and rest in Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story takes place right after Noah and his family have landed on shore safely. They're saved from God's judgment. Now mankind has multiplied there's a little community here. There's a town. And um, there's a common language. There is unity. There is industry. There is hard work. People are working together here for a common goal, common purpose. But the problem that we're going to see is found in verse 4. And I'm going to read it again for you. You can look at it if you have your Bible open. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of all the earth, the whole earth. And here's a few quick observations from this text. First, it was God's desire, we see in Genesis 1.28, that man would disperse, that he would scatter, and that he would multiply and subdue the earth. And here we're seeing their explicit disobedience to his desire for their life. Next, as I mentioned, there was unity. And we are all clamoring for unity. We live in a divided nation, a divided culture. Unity, we, we desire it, don't we? But the problem they had here is they used that unity. They were united, but they were united in their transgressions against God and his commands for them. Then we see they built this tower to make a name for themselves. They're saying, look at me. I'm awesome. Notice me, love me, this will prove my worth. And to me, this is humanity in a nutshell. We so desperately long to be praised, to be applauded, to be appreciated. And we'll do whatever it takes to reach these objectives. We'll spend so much time and energy trying to earn 
these things. And notice that they were seeking to make their name great. You see it. Their name. And so, okay, here's the thought. We come to church on Saturdays or Sundays. One of the things we do in church is we seek to lift up the name of Jesus, right? We want to glorify God and lift him up, exalt his name. And what do you see here? It's about my name, seeking to make their name great. So to me, this is almost like the anti-worship. It's so subtle. But instead of worrying about God, Yahweh, Jesus, it's about me and my name. And we are all made, and they were made the same way too. We are wired to have an arrow of worship going up. We were all made to worship, and we will all worship something. Leave no doubt about that. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what we worship. But we were made with this arrow to go up to God in worship. That's how he put us together. And what we see them doing here is they are curving it in on themselves. It's about me. Instead of God, let's make my name great. Let's declare my autonomy, my sovereignty. And next we see they strive ultimately and effectively to reach the heavens, to reach God. And perhaps this is to get his attention. Perhaps it's to be God. Perhaps it's to declare their autonomy. And this is so reminiscent to me of Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden, trying to be like God. And the thought was, if we can build this tower tall enough, it'll prove our worth. It'll prove our power. It'll make us look good. This will show how amazing we are. And then we see in verse 5 an important point. God comes down. God descends. Let's look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the way that's written, I think it's, I love it because I think it's a little jab at them. You know, they were so proud of themselves over here for constructing this awesome tower. And the way this is written, it's almost like God couldn't even see it from his kingdom. It's so tiny, so minuscule. He had to come down just to see what you guys are doing. You know, they think they're awesome. And he's like, I can't even see it from my throne. I need to come down to you. What a blow to their fragile egos, right? I'm so proud of this tower and he can't even see it. God comes down. And remember that point because this is not the last time in the Bible or in history we see man trying to ascend to God in pride. And it's not the last time God instead descended to man to rescue man from himself. And finally, in this story, we see that God shatters their dreams of autonomy. He confuses their languages. He scatters them abroad. All of this is in fulfillment of his original mandate in Genesis 1. And so that's the basics of this story, the Tower of Babel story. The question for us this morning, 2014, is there anything here relevant to our lives? Is there anything here for us today? And the answer is absolutely. It's extremely relevant to us because we follow the same patterns as these folks, as the people of Shinar. We have the same sin running through our veins. We have the same mindset. We still, after all these years, have a lot to learn about our pride and about God's humility and about God's grace. So there's two primary actions I just want to kind of point out and put before you this morning from this text. Two mutually opposed actions that we see here. One is bad news, and the other is the best news you'll ever hear. So first, in this story, we see a picture of our own idolatry. How we take good things, and we twist them, and we distort them, and we make it about us. 
And I'm going to call this point our idolatrous ascent. Our idolatrous ascent. Now, today, we don't typically build towers. I, I, I see a few construction guys here. But typically, we're not building towers out there to try and make ourselves look good, to try and get God's attention, to try and earn his love. But we do other things, don't we? I was listening to a message, um, this is about a week ago, from a minister in Florida. And he's sharing to his congregation, kind of confessing something to them. And I thought it was helpful for this point. He, he's a megachurch pastor, very successful, has a huge staff, all that. Successful by man's t- standards. And after church one day, he saw there was a bunch of trash in the auditorium. So he thinks, you know, I'll go pick it up. I'll pick up the trash. No one's in there. No one will see. What a great thing, right? To serve. What a beautiful thing. So he goes in there and he starts picking up the trash. And he shares uh, how he was thinking, what his heart was saying at that moment. Here's what it was, he was saying. Man, I hope someone sees me. Man, I hope a staff member walks in and sees what I'm doing. You know, you see what he did? He was twisting something so beautiful, a service, and making it about him, about his name. And I don't know if you see that in your own heart. I see it in mine, and it really troubles me. It's concerning to me. Let me just look at a few examples, a few different examples here that might resonate. Some will fly right over your head. Some might resonate with you. Um, Bible reading. Bible reading. Reading the Bible is a great thing. To read and to see Jesus Christ here. What a gift. What a joy. What a gift from God to his people. And, and please don't teach your kids that this is a burden because it is not a burden to read the Bible. But it's important that we understand that reading the Bible does not engender God's love for us. Don't use a Bible as a brick in your tower to climb to God, to ascend to God. The gospel says... Christian, you are already loved in Christ Jesus before you read the Bible. How about this? Have you ever had a really good time of devotion in the morning and you walk out the door thinking, I'm a good person. I'm a better Christian than this guy. He doesn't spend his time in the Bible as I do. I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus. This guy, he's a partially devoted follower, but I'm a fully devoted follower. Be careful with that, my friends. I better post this on Facebook because I'm pretty spiritual. I better take a shot of this on Instagram. You know, Devo time. Um, there's a danger there. And I, I sense it. You know, I, I, know, I know you guys are with me on this struggle. Um, there's a sin in our hearts that can taint something so beautiful and precious as the Bible and time with God and make it about us. Make it about our tower. Make it about me. I'm making a name for myself. And I want everyone to know I'm fully devoted to Jesus. What about this one? Prayer. Prayer. Now, prayer is such a beautiful thing. We were made to commune with God, to pray with God, to spend time with him. If you're not doing it, you're missing out. The joys there of casting your burdens upon him, singing to him, worshiping him. But do you ever feel after prayer like you are a victorious Christian? You're a, you know, Good, top-tier Christian with a great prayer life. These other guys, not so much. And if we aren't careful, we can even take prayer and distort it and make it about us. Put our dash of tower-building mentality in there. Mix in some sin and some narcissism, and there we go. We've drifted from the gospel. How about this one? And this might not relate to some, but for others of you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Fasting. 
It's really hard to fast and to not be proud of yourself when you're done. I fasted. You guys are over here eating your 99-cent McDoubles, your McNasties, but I'm fasting. I'm better than you. And that's our Pharisee speaking there, you know? Um, Watch out. We can take a beautiful thing, an intimate time with God like fasting, and make it about us. And it is not, fasting is not a technique to attain some secret knowledge from God, some secret blessing from God. That's what's called Gnosticism, and it's a heresy. Fasting is to be an act of worship to God. And may God help us not twist these beautiful things he's given us and distort them and use them as bricks in our tower. What about this one? And this one is uh, so uh, appropriate for our culture that we find ourselves right now. Giving to the church and to the needy. We so often make this about us. In America, there's this popular theology around there. It's on most TV stations, Christian TV stations, known as prosperity theology. It says, if you plant a seed, God will bring you a harvest of blessing. You give, and he'll give back to you more. And what the, what the motivation behind that is, it's all about me. It's all about my giving. At the heart of it, I'm giving only to get something back. God is going to broker this deal with me and give me a great return on my investment. And this way of thinking treats giving, which is to be an act of worship, as something that is now about us and about my tower, about my superiority, about my religiosity. And if you've come to Bethel for a little bit of time, you might have heard someone say this before, and I think it's really great. A lot of times before we pass the offering plate, somebody will say, Let's continue worshiping Christ through our giving. Have you ever heard that before here? Um, you might have, might have missed it, but that's really good theology. Giving is to be out of worship as a response, not to get anything. We've, been, we've received everything we need in Jesus Christ already. And we just fancy ourselves to be these skilled master craftsmen at building our tower, taking good things, beautiful things, and using them to make a name for ourselves building our platform, at least in our own minds, and not Christ. So please don't get me wrong. Please don't think I am against any of those things. I am for prayer, for Bible reading, for fasting, for giving. But we must approach them as Christians, under a banner that reads, it is finished, not as a way to attain anything. And here's one that hits close to home to a lot of you who serve ministry work. How many pastors are in the ministry building their platform, building their name. And if you think about this, if if God's going to pour out his blessing on anyone, if he's going to give anybody a special dose of his love, surely it'll be a minister, right? Surely it's the guy who's preaching. That's how we think. We bring that kind of legalism into the pulpit. We see ministry sometimes less as a calling and more as a way to make myself look good, build my name, to promote my brand, to sell my merchandise. There's a, an article in World Magazine from a few years ago. A celebrity, kind of faux celebrity, Christian megachurch pastor was being interviewed, and he shared some great thoughts on this. He says, It wasn't until I began to search my heart with the biblical category of idolatry that I made the horrendous discovery that all my supposed sacrifices were just a series of selfish actions. I was using people in order to forge my own self-appreciation. I was looking to my sacrificial ministry 
to give me the sense of righteousness before God that should only come from Jesus Christ. That is piercing. So man might look at our well-constructed towers, our, our landscaping outside, our clean windows, and maybe they might be impressed, who knows? Here's the problem with that. God looks at our hearts. He's concerned with our motivations, and therefore, we're in trouble. To ascend to God through good works, through piety, even though, even though those are good things, is vanity. It is futile. And we see that in Genesis 11, and we see it throughout all the scriptures and throughout all of history. And Tony mentioned this a few weeks ago when he shared his message. Motivations are important. They are the difference between Christless religion and Christianity. Motivations reveal to us just how deep our sin goes. Are any of you sensing just how deep your sin goes right now? As I preach this, I'm like, man, my sin runs deep, you know? Perhaps you're with me. They show to us that even our good deeds are so tainted by our sin and selfishness. We twist, we distort, we curve the worship arrow inward on ourselves. It's all about me. We take something so beautiful as giving, as church attendance, as devotion to God, and we somehow manage to make it about us. Think about this. Here's a good example for us. If doing good deeds was all that it was all about, if that's the whole point of Christianity, just get it done, do the work, then the Pharisees would be the greatest Christians who've ever lived. They would be canonized as saints, and they would be forever memorialized in stained glass across churches around this country and around the world, right? But we know, you guys know, There has to be more to life than just grinding it out, dutiful obedience. Prayer, scripture reading, journaling, weekly gatherings. These are great things, but they must be approached from a Christian perspective. Under that banner that says it's finished. With the realization that, friend, Christian, you are already loved. You're already accepted. You're in. You are free from the slavery of self-justification, of having to prove your worth to anyone. You are free from the bondage of tower building. Christians can approach the law. We can approach the Ten Commandments. We can approach all the spiritual disciplines knowing that we are free from the law's condemnation. Romans 8.1. And if you ever have any verse placarded on your house wall, this is a good one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a verse. Ever. No condemnation for you from God's wrath in Christ Jesus. So the good news, Christian, is that you're in. There is no tower building necessary. And some are going to spend their entire lives, even people within the church will spend their entire lives crafting this immaculate tower to the heavens, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to fill some void trying to declare my autonomy, trying to prove something to someone. And you're free from that. Jesus Christ lived the life that you could not live, and he died the death that you had come in your way. It is finished. Jesus is your tower. So please know, my friends, 
None of our best attempts, none of our self-righteous striving to get up to God can ever earn his favor, can ever get his attention, can ever earn his love. Our construction skills simply are not good enough. Our tools are woefully inadequate for that task. And I want to challenge you and challenge myself to please not view the Christian life as some anxiety-ridden, guilt-driven journey in which you have to go and you have this guy behind you with a whip, work, you know, um, in which you have to climb your way up to God, ascend your way to the heavens, in which God's love for you is grounded in how you're doing and your performance and whether you sinned last night or not, in your tower building, And I could tell you that your tower will never be tall enough. You will never be good enough. You will never fulfill the Ten Commandments on your own. And that's the whole point of why Christ had to come. He lived that fulfillment for you and gives it to you in Christ. That's the whole point of having a Savior. And if I could speak from painful experience here, if your focus in life is building your tower, you will find yourself one day stressed out, burned out, struggling, depressed, ready to quit the church. You've had enough. And maybe some of you find yourself there right now and you're in need of some good news and it's coming. So let's briefly look at a better alternative. That's the way I would not suggest. Um, And many who have walked this journey with me would stand with me and say, I would not suggest that way either. Let's look at the Christian alternative. At the Tower of Babel, man tried to ascend to God And God came down instead to them. And in Christ, 2,000 years ago, God came down again. And this was God's gracious descent. So instead of having us earn our way up to God through piety and devotion and hard work, he knew we would never make it. He came down to us to live for us, to die for us. And that's the sweetest truth in all the world. That's the best thing I could ever tell you. Um, There's a preacher who I once heard say this. God is not at the top of a ladder shouting climb. Pull yourself up, man. Do it. You can do it. Just do it. Man up. Toughen up and grind it out. That's not what he's doing. He's at the bottom on a cross whispering, it is finished. It is not about your devotion to God, but his devotion to you in Christ Jesus. The Christian life truly is all about Jesus. And the good news for you is that because of God's descent in Christ, Christians are free from having to earn God's love and favor. As I said, you have his love. What you need is somebody every week to remind you of it. You have his favor in Christ. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to be set apart, to be declared righteous, to be adopted into God's family. You're in. Just like my son downstairs does not need to prove himself to me. He's in. He's my son. I am well pleased with him. You're free from having to make a name for yourself because we know there's only one name that is above every name. Only one name that truly matters. Name of Jesus Christ. So in the world, in society, in our culture, there is this gospelless religion. There is striving. There is earning. In the world, 
in the marketplace, you are loved based on how you look, based on how you dress, based on the words you say, on your wit, on your money, on your success. In Christianity, you're loved before you even do anything. It is not grounded in your performance, but Christ's performance for you. There is no merit in Christianity. Please let that sink in. There is no merit. There is only Christ who merited everything for you that you will ever need. God comes down. And he shows to us as he comes down the futility of our towers. And he provides us with a better way. The way. The truth. The life. He comes and replaces our tower with a cross. And his descent in Christ was a descent to save you. And to set you free. And if you're a Christian, let this ring true to you. You are free today. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, and I know we have some who are not. This is what you have been searching for your entire life. Every song talking of love, every movie that stirs something inside of you for an unconditional, no strings attached, one way love. This is the source of that love. Jesus Christ. One-way love found only in him. So here's my point. Here's what I'm really trying to say this morning. Your hope and my hope is not grounded in our ascent to God through our piety, through our devotion, through our good works. It is grounded in God's gracious descent to us in Christ Jesus. And that's radical. That's liberating. And that's the kind of stuff that will make the Pharisee inside all of us a little bit nervous, you know. And so, question 64 from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's about 450 years old, old school document. Let me read it to you. Does not this doctrine, the doctrine of grace, make men careless and profane? And I think that's an appropriate question. You preach this kind of stuff, people are going to go crazy and abuse it. Their answer, no. For it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. So you can see their works are a part of the Christian life, but they come after the gospel as a response to the gospel, out of worship for what Christ has done. You see that? Devotion is a part of the Christian life, but not to earn anything, but because you have everything you already need. And so I want to challenge all of us this morning to give of your resources to the needy, give to the church, serve your community, pray, read your Bible, memorize the scriptures, fast, stay involved in church, stay involved in Christian community. But please don't do these things as an attempt to earn something from God, to make a name for yourself, to meet some innate desire that you have for approval or for validation. The gospel says you are already loved. You are already approved. You are already validated. And if you miss that one point, and it's a simple point, but if we miss it, we miss what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. We miss the joy to be found in the Christian journey, and we miss the gospel. Good deeds from a Christian perspective are to be done out of gratitude after the gospel. So let me just close with saying this. This means that you and I can just pause and breathe a sigh of relief. 
you are finally free to drop the act. Finally free to just enjoy God and enjoy others, enjoy your family, enjoy life. You can loosen up the girdle a little bit. The pressure is off. Please know God loves you in Christ as you are, not as you should be, because honestly, no one is as we should be. We're all a bunch of messes. The work is done. Christ has done all of the earning that is necessary for you. Christ has set you free, Christian, and you are free indeed. Free from searching for this elusive love. Free from condemnation of the law. Free from having to impress anyone with your spirituality. Free from having to be cool. Free from having to act like you have it all together when you know you don't. Free from having to project that you have this amazing life on Facebook. This well-manicured, well-polished tower. You're free, my friends, in Christ to just be how God made you and enjoy Him. Enjoy life. You don't build your way up to God. Please, no. You don't ascend to Him through your good works and good deeds and your piety and your performance and this veneer that you make of yourself. He comes down to you in Christ Jesus and thank God that He has. Christ has set you free. And so for those who are stretched too thin... For those like me who are burned out, who are broken, who are tired, who are anxious, who are weary, who are ready for this winter to go away, let me challenge you this morning to step away from your tower. Drop your mortar bag, lay down your brick, and just breathe. Breathe in the sweet air of freedom and joy that can only be found in Christ Jesus a God who descends for you. And let the final words of Christ on a Roman cross have the final word today and the final word in your life. It is finished. Let's pray. Father, may the gospel just shatter our chains and crush our towers. May your grace persuade us to cease from our futile tower building and instead rest in the finished work of Christ and let that change us, let that motivate us to serve and love. And we pray these things in Christ's name, who is our only hope. Amen.